Hello, this is Michael Rosso, the Film Photography Podcast for November 5th, 2010. The Film Photography Podcast, the internet radio show for folks who love to shoot film. I'm here in the studio with Dwayne Polkew. Hello, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Yourself? Pretty darn good, Mike. You know what's exciting today, Dwayne? What, Mike? Tell me, please. Today we're going to be rolling in the audio tape from the PDN Photo Expo in New York City that we recorded last week. Even though I was there, I still want to hear... It was a great, great show. Uh, This is our second... Well, not my second year, and our second year going as a podcast team. And we... uh Interviewed pretty much everyone that we wanted to, and a couple couple surprises too as well. So those of you that are fans or are hankering to hear about view cameras, we got some special stuff. Yes. Before we get started, really quick, I want to talk about our November schedule. We're weekly this month, November 2010. Did you know that, Dwayne? I read it on the post. I was shocked. Shocking. What is he up to now? There is uh, just so much going on that we have a weekly podcast in November 2010, this month only. Of course, we have this show, the PDN Photo Expo. Next week on the 12th, we have an interview with... The Impossible Project. I went to NYC to the Impossible Project space, and I interviewed Florian Caps and Dave Bias. Uh, Dr. Caps, of course, is the founder of the Impossible Project. Dave Bias is the head of Impossible Project USA. So it's a great interview. The Impossible Project marks the return of instant analog photography for Polaroid cameras. I've been talking about it endlessly for the last year. I'm thrilled to have had the opportunity to sit down with these folks and uh, to do tune in on November 12th. On November 19th, it's our roundtable here at the studio with myself, Dwayne, and hopefully John Fideli. Oh, yeah. Yay. That's always a good time, right? It's the best. On November 26th, it's an interview with April Lee Hutchinson. April is a artist, photographer, and model from London, Ontario. I made a trek up to London, Ontario, and I... Did you fly or drive? Oh, no, I flew up to London, Ontario. They have an airport there? They do. Is it, an, is it a big city? Uh, no, it's a small city and a very small airport, and I love flying into small airports. Like I, when I used to fly into Long Beach, California, just mm-hmm. great. I don't really like huge airports. I Long like Beach, small. California, you actually get out on the tarmac. Exa- practically. <laughs> yeah. That's what this was like. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, or well, 60s. Yes, April was kind enough to invite me up to visit her on one of her sets shooting a model. And it was fantastic. She's a Polaroid photographer shooting with Polaroid pack film and shooting with Holga. And uh, she has a very unique, natural style. And I wanted to see how she shoots. And it was really, really cool. I hope everyone will tune in on the 26th of November. This show, Dwayne and I, as I mentioned, we're at the PDN Photo Expo. We're your guide. We're we're here in the studio right now. We're going to guide you through our experiences at the PDN Photo Expo. And the first thing that we did when we, we showed up was to find a place to park that wasn't literally draining the blood out of your body. <laughs> I kid you not. Yes, we did. If, if you go to the Jacob Javits Center in New York City, if you park in the garages that are in the like two-block radius, it's... they have special convention center rate. But, the, but they, what they mean is... They're going to charge double. Yeah, really. It was, it was, something, it was 50 some dollars for a couple fi- hours. 50, $54. Oh, that's insane. So we literally, because we're driving in from New Jersey, we li- literally drove one extra block and found a regular parking lot that charges a normal $40 rate. The first thing that we did when we got to the Jacob Javits Center is we ran into FPP listener Matt. Yes, we did. That's from how Ohio. We opened, yes, that's how we opened the show. Let's roll that segment, Dwayne. Matt showed us also some of the cool things in his camera bag. Yeah. Uh, his Hazelblad and uh, talked about his 8x10. Matt came with his kit. He came fully equipped to shoot. Fully equipped with an 8x10 camera in his trunk. Unbelievable. 
It was fantastic. Let's roll the audio tape. Let's do that. We're here at the Jacob Javits Center. We just walked in, and to my right is listener Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, how's it going, guys? A few listeners sent me an email and said, Hey, you know, we'd like to meet up with you guys at the show. So I got in, I called the listeners up, and I figured we'd kind of wander the floor and find a few guys. Matt was kind enough to present us with some uh, 120 slightly expired cold-stored film. But uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Dwayne's putting it in his pocket. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? I'm from uh, the little burb of Deschler, Ohio. That's out in the flattest part of northwest Ohio. Live in the middle of a cornfield. You, ca- you came in from Ohio to come to the show? Just to see you guys. Now stop. No, seriously, I did. It's kind of a vacation, though. I got family out here. I'm originally from Connecticut, so. Well, that's awesome. What do you think of that, Dwayne? That's amazing that someone would make the trek from, you know, the nation's heartland just to come to this show to NYC. Well, you know, this is a, it's a mecca for photographers, this place. It's holy ground, Mike. Matt, are you shooting while you're here? Oh, of course. I brought my uh, I brought my 8x10. I've got my Hasselblad in my bag here, and uh, I just bought an Olympus Trip 35 the other day, and I'm shooting some uh, Kodachrome with that. What kind of 8x10 do you have? I have an old uh, Kodak Century from 1905. It's like falling apart, but it's it's fantastic. I love it. And this is all in your bag right here? No, no, no. No, the uh, the 8x10 sitting in the in the car. I'm a little scared that it's sitting in the car, but... Did you park in the street or in a lot? Oh, in the lot. It's like an hour out from here. I am on the train. So When people see a view camera, even if it's a brand new spanking, fresh off the presses Leinhoff, they still think it's an antique. So, no, they don't think, they think it's worthless. So how long are you here for? I'm, uh, I'm here for just the day in the city. I'm just hanging out, and then I'm going back upstate. That's where I'm staying for a little bit. And then I'm traveling back to the falls and, you know, just hanging out for another week or so. You guys want to see me in New Jersey? I'll hop on down, you know. We'll take some 8x10s. There you go. Let me ask you, uh, are you actually shooting, doing some shooting in the city, or are you just shooting around the uh, expo here? I'm doing a little bit of shooting around the city. I got, I took the earliest train I could in here this morning. I got in at about 5, and I was doing a little night, early morning kind of stuff, and then just hanging out, and then as soon as I'm done tonight, I'm going to do some more night photography. Anything in your bag, like, you could show us? Like, what do you got in the, in the what's in the bag? He has a blood. He's, by the way, uh, Matt has a Temba bag, the very same bag that I have, but did not bring with me today. It's a lovely bag, and I, I find it very handy. How, how do you like the Temba bag? Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's 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 a workhorse. I, lo- I load it like Mary Poppins with her bag, and it's just it's just great. I love it. Some of Ansel Adams's greatest images were made with uh, the 500 CM uh, when he got a little bit too old to to you know walk around Yosemite with a view camera. He actually turned to medium format photography. And, and some of his actually later in life iconic images were made with a Hasselblad and two and a quarter Panatomic X film. <laughs> Matt is unloading his bag like it's a like it's an FPP security check. Like, excuse me, Matt. Uh, yeah, please un- unload your bag for us uh, so we could do a security check. See what? Why don't we let Matt tell us exactly what he has here? Which is well, he has, a, he has two and a quarter. He has a uh, a, a light meter. So uh, let him uh, let him just run through what he's got in his kit, as the as the Brits would say, his, his kit. Yeah, what's in your kit? Uh, my my light work kit here. It's about it's only about 32 pounds. It's, it's nothing compared to the 8x10. But I've got a I've got the the 6x6 Hasselblad with an extra back and a Polaroid back. It's loaded with some uh, Fuji 100C ready to shoot. I got my little uh, old school Sekonic manual light meter. It's got it's got your EV on there, you know, so you can do that with your your 4x5. Um, I got the Trip 35 loaded with some uh, Kodachrome 25. Kodachrome 25. Ooh. Yeah, it's good stuff. I just gotta wait, you know, until the sun is like bleeding before I can, I can shoot with it. <laughs> I got a, I got a monster pack of film here. I got every kind you can think of, just ready to go. 400, 3200. I even have some Velvia, so 
This is pretty inspiring stuff. Uh, when we're uh, concluded chatting, I'm actually going to take out my uh, Kodak Pocket Instamatic camera and get a shot of this. Now, you're a younger guy. Do you find people in your generation are, are, are gravitating towards just exploring what film is all about? Because there's a whole generation of people out there that just grew up on digital that don't even know about film and processing and things of that nature. So, so it kind of shed some insight on that for, uh, I mean, how did you personally get interested in film? I got interested in film just because I grew up entirely on digital. And as soon as it became more than just a part-time thing and became full-time, I instantly got sick of running through six, seven, eight hundred, two thousand images, you know, from a wedding or something. And this is my way to slow down. I get 12 shots a roll on the Hasselblad. If I shoot 35, you know, 24 to 36, and the 8 by 10, it's one or two at a time, and my day's made. So it's a way to slow down. You know, I, I'm not so, you know, big on the, the retro feel. I'm going to shoot expired film because it looks, I don't have to play with it in Photoshop now, but it's that's another bonus. No Photoshop, no problem. <laughs> Nice. Nice. Well, Matt, thanks. We're going to put the mic down, and we're going to take a few few photos so that uh, folks listening along at home can see uh, all the merriment. So, <laughs> the merriment. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, the merriment. So, uh, Matt, I, want to pre I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. This is what I came up here to do. So Awesome. Being in New Jersey, I frequent Unique Photo quite often. Unique Photo is a photo superstore. When people think of superstores, a lot of people think B&H, you know, here on the East Coast, and B&H, Adorama. But here in New Jersey, there's a superstore on Route 46 that I frequent called Unique Photo. And they're, for me at least, known as one of the last stores on the planet to fully stock Polaroid film. And that's where I buy my Polaroid pack film and where I buy my Polaroid spectra film. They knew you. Oh, you're the guy that buys the Polaroid film. They did, didn't they? They did. They actually said that. Oh, oh, you're the one. Yes, they did. You probably, probably buy more than anyone else. Yes, especially the uh, Fuji film FP100B. It's a 100 ASA pack film, and it was just recently discontinued by Fuji. So I've stocked up. So <laughs> Dwayne and I visited the uh, Unique Photo booth, and we spoke to Mike. Because we asked, I'm like, well, you know, who's your film guy here? Because Unique Photo is primarily digital, as most companies are these days. And I go on the Flickr, Flickr.com, and I post in the Unique Photo group. Um, you do? I do. So uh, last time I was up there, I always bring my camera. And the last time I was up there, I actually shot a few shots of them carrying these big boxes out of their warehouse. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Apparently, everyone saw those pictures. You are infamous. Wow. How about that? So we, we sp I spoke to Mike at Unique Photo, and uh, let's, uh, as uh, Warner Wolf used to say here at ABC TV New York, let's go to the videotape. We have audio tape. Let's go to the audio tape. I'm here at the Unique Photo booth with Mike. How you doing, Mike? Good. Unique is one of the last shops to carry Polaroid film. Is that true? That's correct. We got one of the last shipments. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Unique and your continual commitment to film. and. Well, one of the things is that the people that Unique hire are uh, mostly either working photographers or photography students like myself. I just graduated uh, last May from Montclair State and I still shoot uh, 4x5 and 8x10 film and uh, so do a lot of my colleagues. You know, we still uh, use uh, either Polaroid or uh, other kinds of Fuji instant film as well. So when you have the people in the store who uh, are analog photography is still really important to us, you know, because we use it, it is, it's nice to work for a store even though uh, I shoot and some of my other colleagues shoot digitally, you know, for, for to make money. You know, our real passion is in, you know, using uh, 
film emulsions. So one of the most common questions I see in Flickr forums and online is, is film going away? Will film stop? What is your feeling on, what is your gut feeling on film? Do you think it's going to be around for a long time? There's still a certain quality, uh, even in 35 millimeter film. Like I think at at higher uh, ISO settings or ASA, you know. Uh, digital just it looks a little cleaner now, but there's a certain look overall, especially with color uh, that film has. And, and then once you get into larger format film, just the resolution blows digital away. For So, you know, unless you need something right away on the spot, like if you're doing a wedding or event, you need like thousands of pictures right away. Okay, you shoot digital. But for anything else, you know, I just, when I go out, I think to myself, why am I not shooting film? That's at least how I keep doing it. Um, in terms of it going away, unfortunately, it looks like a lot of the professional C41 films are going away. Um, and there's really not that many places to get E6 processed outside of New York City right now in this area. So unfortunately, it looks like some of it's going away, but there, there is still uh, a big community of people who it's really important to. Unique seems to carry a wide variety of film. You think you guys are going to continue to carry film? Yeah, absolutely, especially uh, like when Ektar 100 came out in 4x5 and 8x10, we got both of them right away. And there's the new uh, Portra 400 speed film, and we're going to have that in 35, 120, 4x5, and 8x10 as well. Do any people come in off the street with old-time cameras and look for film for it? You know, it's funny. Actually, uh, a couple months ago, I had customers come in. They found uh, uh, old 4x5 in their attic, and they had no idea what it was. And I got them the film and everything for it, and I think they went and took uh, a workshop up in Maine. And now that I've started doing the one-on-one -on -one instructions myself, I'm, I'm willing to offer one-on-one -on -one instruction for, for uh, not only digital, but that's mainly what I've been doing. But if you know if you find an old 120 4x5 camera, I'll gladly show someone how to use it. You know, that's really, that's really what I'm passionate about. So it's nice, you know, I'd love to show other people how to use it. So folks could come to Unique Photo and you have no problem like just showing them what, what, what to do, how to use it, what film to use. Right, that's right. I mean, the nice thing about film is that they have such different looks. Like, I mean, certain cameras like Canon or Nikon, they'll vary a little bit in color. But when you have like Fuji uh, Pro 160, it'll look so much different than like a Kodak 160 VC or NC. You know, like the film, it just, I don't know, there's certain certain look to it and you know the differences between that uh, different kinds of film stock give them a hand I can tell from talking to you that you're very passionate about film what's your ratio of shooting film compared to digital like when do you when do you find time to get out to shoot film when I was in school that was the easiest because that's what I was you know that's what they wanted me to be doing but since I graduated May it's been a little bit more difficult but I'll what I, what I do is I take one of my days off especially Sunday and I'll just dedicate the whole day I'll, uh, you know, Saturday night or early Sunday morning, I'll load up like, you know, 20 film holders of 4x5 and I'll just drive out to either Pennsylvania or um, somewhere in upstate New York and I'll just shoot for the whole day. That's pretty awesome. Thank you, Mike. So Dwayne and I were on the floor and there were a few FPP listeners wandering about. And, you know, this is a little, actually a little more planned than it sounds because every time we keep mentioning it, like we bump into people. You know, we bumped into Rob Tuttle. Hey, what are you doing here? I don't know. What are you doing here? Yeah. Hey. But no, no, I put, I put the word out for folks to send us an email, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Hey, if you're going, you know, if you're going to the PDN Photo Expo, send us a, uh, an email. And uh, Rob sent me an email. We met up with Rob on the floor. Rub's from New York, the Catskill region. And he's uh, pr primarily a 4x5 shooter, yes? Yes, he is. He owns a um, an Omega 
monorail four by five view camera, yes. Which he did not bring with him, obviously. Yeah. I guess he could have, but he didn't. Yeah. Would have been kind of pointless lugging around this big monorail view camera. Right. I can't tell you how many emails we've gotten or posts on the uh, Flickr group about four by five. Uh, one of the emails I received recently uh, was, okay, great. I'm really glad you guys discussed four by five, but when are you going to actually shoot with it? Our listeners are actually following up, like, okay, Dwayne, I always use my Jerry Seinfeld voice. Okay, Dwayne, you brought the 4x5 in. When are you going to shoot with it? So I guess maybe in November they'll come up to... I think we're, this I think this is what we're going to do, folks. Dwayne's going to bring his 4x5 camera back to the studio. He's kind enough to actually let us use the sample film he got from the Kodak booth. Uh, what is that 4x5 film? This Dwayne? is a Trix Pan maybe 3, we, 320. Maybe we could use a slice for our test. Perhaps. So you don't you do not have a Polaroid back, correct? No, I don't. It's unfortunate. And maybe we can do a, a model shoot. Yeah, I thought we get a model in here and uh, just you know About test. To. You know, I'll I'll, I'll use his four x five camera under his guidance and just do a simple studio shoot, uh, testing the four x five. But listener Rob, he shoots four x five. Rob, who we met at PDN, yes, shoots four x five. And let's roll the audio tape and and see what Rob, you know, what was going on with Rob. Let's do that. Yes. Let's go to the videotape. And we're here with Rob. Rob is a FPP listener. Hi, Rob. How you doing? Good, good, good. Where's Livingston Manor, New York? Right in the middle of the Catskills in Sullivan County, where Grossinger's and the Concord and all those big Borscht Belt hotels used to live. I asked Rob if he was, uh, you know, hey, first show is no. No, no. I've been, it's got to be at least 15 years. What keeps you interested in film photography? It's a different look than digital. I mean, I have a digital camera, too, but... And you can get away with digital for color, but when it comes to black and white, there's nothing like, you know, silver halide on paper. What is your favorite uh, format camera to shoot with, let's say, this year? 4x5. What are you shooting with? Um, Ilford FP Pro, and uh, the camera is an Omega 45D. Oh, very nice. Do you know that camera? Certainly do. It's a monorail, isn't it? Yes, it is. And what have you been shooting? Uh, mostly scenics. You can't do too much live-action photography with a monorail. <laughs> is that true, Dwayne? You could, but you'd probably wouldn't come out and focus. <laughs> it, would be, it, would be, it would be over by the time you got it in focus, though. What are you shooting here at the show? Nothing. Just, oh, just looking? Mostly, yeah. What, uh, have you gone to like the Freestyle booth, Kodak booth? Have you been in yet? Nope. Just walked in the door. Oh, just like us, Dwayne. Indeed. Can I ask you a couple of questions about uh, your technique with a 4x5? What lens do you have on your 4x5 or kit of lenses? Uh, just one. It's a uh, Schneider uh, 135. It's like a semi-wide. Uh, it's a little telly, a little bit, not a whole lot. It's close It's close to a 50 on a 35. And you use Ilford FP4? Currently. It's a long-time APX100 user, but that's going the way of the uh, dinosaur. Do you do your own black and white processing also? Yes. And uh, do you do tray processing or dip and dunk or rotary processing with a Jobo, what sort of thing do you do? Uh, I tried all those. It's just easier with a tray. And uh, what developer do you use with Ilford FP4 Plus? I started using DDX a little bit, but I've gone back to uh, Rod and all. Uh, it's high sharpness. Super high sharpness. Yeah, nice. Absolutely. How often do you shoot? I mean, you live in the Catskills. It's such a beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, do you shoot mostly stuff in the Catskills, or do you go around the country doing different things? What do you do? I shoot mostly close to home. Uh, my job keeps me tied down pretty well, so I don't really get a chance to travel the country. How often do you get out? I try to get out a couple times a week. Oh, yeah, 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 that's great. Do you find it easy to get out, or do you, do you kind of push yourself? I find it easy to motivate myself. I find it hard to find the time. 
Anything in store next year? Something you want to try that you haven't done before? Uh, I've been doing a lot of after dark, using one hour developing, uh, diluted uh, one to 100, and I've got some preliminary results. Not with the 4x5, with the 6x6, and it uh, looked pretty promising. So very, very awesome. And how did you stumble upon the FPP? Uh, I do believe it was in iTunes, and I just did a, a search for photography, and uh, one of the ones that popped up was yours. and. Uh, I've listened to a couple of them, but the, one, the, one, the only one I habitually listen to is yours, that I look for. Oh, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to see your face, because you've emailed us a few times, correct? Yeah, you helped me out with some uh, scanner slide issues in the past. Are you, what, are you, what are you using for the scanner? Are you using the Epson? No, it's a uh, UMAX PowerLook 1100. They're, they're monsters, actually, compared to the Epson. Size-wise, yeah. I don't think the quality is as good as the Epson at this point, because it's 10-year-old technology. So, What do you want to do next year that maybe you haven't tried, or are you going to stick to 4x5? No, I'm going to stick to 4x5. I've been there for, God, it's going to be 10 years. So. Well, I really want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. My pleasure. And have a great time with the show. Thanks, you too. On the floor at the PDN Photo Expo at the Freestyle booth, we did talk to uh, Freestyle. We talked to Eric Joseph from Freestyle. At their booth signing her new book was Michelle Bates. And her new book called Plastic Cameras, Toying with Creativity. It's the second edition. And I can tell you as someone who recently started shooting with Holga that it's a lot of fun. And when, when we had the uh, Holga... 120 TLR, which by the way we're giving away on our, on the show on the 19th. Your eyes even widened, Dwayne, when you saw that Holga 120 TLR. Yes, yes they did. did. They because did. it was such a striking looking camera. Absolutely, and a lot of fun. So Michelle has, has authored this book, Plastic Cameras, and I'm happy to say we're giving away in a, a signed copy of the book, Plastic Cameras, that was signed by Michelle at the PDN Photo Expo for you. All you have to do to win this book is send an email to us at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. In the header, put plastic cameras. And tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what type, of, what type of film photography have you been shooting? Are you shooting? Have you yet? Just tell us a little bit about what you've been doing. Include your name and address. We will put you in the drawing for the book Plastic Cameras Toying with Creativity, which we're going to give away in early December. I love this book because uh, as someone who regularly shoots large format, as are many large format photographers, very interested in resolution and sharpness. Now, toy cameras are not noted for that, are they, Mike? No, they're not. But when you look at these pictures, they're about they're, mood oh, and, yes. and ambiance. The humanity comes through. Yes, it does. There's, there's a warmth to it and there's a playfulness to it, which I don't regularly create in my own work. And it was a joy to look at this book. Also, it's a compilation of work from a lot of other people. Yes. So there's different points of view as well from different people who use this camera or these types of cameras in many different ways. So it's a great book. It's a great book. Really fast. Uh, I'm just going to go through some of these chapters like what are plastic cameras? That's an introduction to the history of plastic cameras. Plastic portfolios. This is 30 portfolios of images from some of the most influential and talented photographers using plastic cameras from the 1960s through today. Wow. Chapter 3, a survey of plastic cameras from the 60s through today. Do you think LBJ shot with a plastic camera? He probably did. He might have. He's from Texas. Maybe he had a Diana in his bag. Maybe he had a Diana in his bed. (laughs) (laughs) 
film options. Film options for all your low-tech cameras. It's true. It's true. It's like, you know, and I, I know some folks that shoot with plastic cameras. You know, there's very little tech specs involved. They just grab some film and shoot with it. My first camera was a plastic camera. A Boy Scout camera. Roll film. Roll film? What was it? 127? Something like that. I don't remember. It was 1968. Will you bring in some of your, your negatives for uh, from when you were a kid? Yeah, I know where they are. Uh, you, you are welcome to see them. I would really... Are they prints? Do you have prints? I have prints and negatives. I would both. love to see some of your stuff. It's, yeah. I'm I want to see the, the aerial photography, the 126 aerial photography that you shot with your Kodak Instamatic. Didn't I bring that in already? Nope. Oh, my bad. Chapter 5, Prepping and Shooting Your Holga. Uh, let's Go Shooting. Techie Tips. Holga Camera Modifications. That's pretty awesome. Film handling and processing. These are great topics because these are general topics that everyone wants to know about. Film handling and processing. Alternate processes and presentations. The book, Plastic Cameras. We spoke to Michelle Bates, the author. Let's roll the audio tape. I'm at the Freestyle Distribution booth and I'm with Michelle Bates. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Michelle is the author of a book called Plastic Cameras, Toying with Creativity. The second edition. Michelle, can you tell me a little bit about the book? So the book, both editions, um, are really meant to be a comprehensive guide to the world of toy camera photography. So it's got a history of the genre from the 60s to the present. This edition includes 49 photographers, an unbelievably talented group of people. Uh, it's got lots of how-to information. Some is specific for Holgas and some is general for all low-tech cameras and resources for where else to go, buy things, look at websites, books, magazines, everything that's kind of out there in the toy camera world. Although, at this point, there's so much, it's not really everything because it's gotten so popular, but it's a great collection. Are you yourself a toy camera photographer? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm a Holga girl. Really? Can you tell me about your, your roots and how, do you, how, you st how you got involved with shooting with plastic cameras? I went to the main photographic workshops, which is now main media workshops, in 1991, um, when I knew really next to nothing about photography. And there I picked up a Holga and started shooting with it, and I've been shooting with it ever since. What inspired you to put the book together? Well, I got this email from the publisher saying, would you like to write a book on toy cameras? <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Were you excited about that? Oh, yeah, you know, jumping up and down the whole nine yards. I was thrilled. Um, and so I put the proposal together for them, and I ended up doing it, and it's been great. Can you tell me about the second edition? Uh, is it different from the first edition? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, well, the cover is blue instead of yellow um, with a different photo. I love my yellow cover. I love the blue cover, too. Uh, it's got 32 more pages, 21 new photographers, including Michael Kenna and Sylvia Plackey. All the new cameras that have come out since 2006. Um, lots more resources, how-to information to reorganize. Lots of beautiful new images. And what's happening, let's say, in 2011 with yourself and plastic cameras? Are you, are you still shooting? Are you working on any new projects? I've been teaching a lot and speaking. I'm a little in between shooting projects right now, so kind of wondering what's next with that. But I have exhibitions lined up. I have an exhibition in New York in March. I give, I give lectures and workshops all over the country. Where will your exhibition be? Soho Photo Gallery in March. It's oh. in conjunction with the Crappy Camera Show. Do you think that film has a healthy future? It does, you know, and it seems to be making a resurgence. A lot of people are working with digital, but they're also realizing the joys of, of shooting with film and working with alternate processes and low-tech. So um, I think there will always be people shooting with film, and when there's companies like Freestyle that, you know, that will always make film available, then people can still have access to that. Will you autograph two copies of our book? One book I'm keeping and one book I'm giving away to a lucky film photography podcast listener. What do you think about that, Dwayne? Fantastic. 
Great. Michelle, thank you so much for your time, and we're going to be announcing our contest very soon. You're welcome. It's great to meet you. Thanks. So very cool, Dwayne. Very, very cool. While we were there at the Freestyle booth, uh, we ran into our friend Patrick Delabovi. Yes, we did. And uh, we spoke to Patrick last year at the PDN. Yes, we did. This year, he introduced us to Eric Joseph. And, uh, Eric seemed to be a uh, small encyclopedia of information. He was very, very knowledgeable. His job basically is to track down and keep an eye on those manufacturers of sensitized materials to see if he can put them in the freestyle catalog. If you've perused the freestyle catalog, you'll know that there are names like Adox and Slavich. And uh, where do these uh, materials come from? Well, they come from places such as Croatia and the Czech Republic and Germany. And he actually physically goes overseas and he goes to these different plants and he assesses those materials, the film, the papers, and uh, he brings them to market through the freestyle catalog for people who want uh, those choices in their arsenal for image making and it's great i don't know of any other catalog you can open up and see different manufacturers there's so many different kinds of film and paper freestyle's really rocking it Blaine. and it's great because he explains and you'll hear in a moment why they do that people wonder well, why why would someone bother doing that well he explains why they made that actual choice to be sort of like the last man standing in a way right really to, to, to stock this stuff and that's why because they felt you know there's still a future in this and there's got to be a last man standing it might as well be us Freestyle did not back off when that massive digital revolution hit around no they surged they went the other way exactly. they, for real they went the other way they didn't back down they turned it up let's roll your interview Dwayne with Eric Joseph from let's Freestyle let's do it let's go to the videotape we're speaking with Mr. Eric Joseph from Freestyle Sales, and those of you who have listened to the show know that Freestyle is really a huge center of interest for people that are still interested in silver halide photography and are very much interested in Holgas as well. Now, we were speaking earlier about how people thought silver halide would go away and digital would take over everything, but you as a company had a different business model and vision in mind. Could you just please reiterate what you were talking about? Well, 10 years ago, we recognized that this digital thing was going to pretty much come over into our industry, and we weren't sure if it was going to be like an asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, if it was going to be a near miss, and it was just going to shake things up for a while. But we looked at what was happening, and we sat down as an executive management team and said, look, what is this digital thing really going to be? Is it going to be something for photography, or is it going to be a consumer electronics product? And all we're going to be doing is beating our heads against the wall fighting against Best Buy, Walmart, Kmart, at the time CompUSA, Circuit City, good guys and all those players that were in the in the market at the time. And we said, look, digital is probably going to be an interesting thing. And if you look at it historically, photography should have replaced fine, uh, what was at the time illustration and painting. And everybody said, well, we don't need to do that anymore because we have a machine that can do it easier, better and faster than we could and in many ways cheaper, because it was almost instantaneous. So, well, that didn't happen. People are still painting, they're still drawing. You know, people are still sculpting. They're still taking pencil to paper. They're still using charcoal. All these things that photography were supposed to replace are still here. So we said, look, black and white fine art printing is still gonna be around. There's still people to do what I like to call traditional historic handmade processes, which most people call alternative processes, which I have no idea why they call it that, because it's an alternative to what? I mean, technically silver is now alternative to digital, but in any event, none of those processes went away. They've persevered, they're still here. So we looked at ourselves as a company and said, 
what's going to happen? Well, we're already strong in film in the darkroom. Our business is continuing to grow. We know that schools are going to recognize at some point that digital is very expensive and that teaching wet darkroom is still going to be an excellent way of obtaining empirical knowledge about the photographic process and it will never go away. So we kind of banked on the fact that people would still want to do darkroom and schools would still want to teach it and here we are today we took a leadership role making sure that there were we aligned ourselves with smaller companies people like Foman, Photochemica and Slavich. There's a new player on the market with Adox, the Adox brand. While we figured the market was going to shrink that we could grow into the size that the market would become and those smaller companies would grow into the size that the market would become. We knew that the bigger companies weren't going to be able to shrink fast enough because they would just implode because they were designed to be big companies or at least bigger companies. And what's happened 10 years later is exactly those things. We still get customers that say, you know, I work on a computer all day long. I don't want to come home and work on a computer. There's a magical, mystical thing that happens in the darkroom that I love. And you know, inkjet prints are great, but silver prints do, I feel like there's an investment in what I've created. There's a genuine quality to what I've created. I go to schools all the time, and students still see, when they, when they see that print come up in the tray for the first time, there's an excitement. They look at it and they say it's magic. It's a different experience than shooting with a digital camera. The Holga camera category for us is huge and it's still continuing to grow because people are finding that there's a different vision. In fact, I saw recently that somebody created a 16-step Photoshop procedure for making a digital image look like it was made with a Holga camera. But people are buying Holga cameras, they're shooting film, Sometimes they're getting them made into prints. Sometimes they're just getting them scanned and are putting them on inkjet. So the Holga camera becomes a digital imaging device. The bottom line is that we saw a bright future for the continuation of Darkroom. We followed that. We focused on it as a company. We took a leadership role by making the products available and making more products available than ever before. And because we've done that, we've made all of these products more available for everybody worldwide because of our commitment. So we still see it continuing. We're still very excited about the future of film. Our sales are growing, and our partners in the coding facilities around the world are continuing to be successful. Well, that's good news for people who like to use these alternative processes. And I'm glad you mentioned that digital is expensive, because I remember 15 years ago, one of the selling points of digital was, oh, it's cheaper, no film, no print. So they didn't mention every 18 months, you'd have to upgrade everything just to be competitive. So I'm so glad you guys are in existence and our listeners are so glad and uh, thank you for keeping up the masthead of, of, of Silver Halide and, and continued success to you. Well, it's our commitment 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It wasn't an easy decision making. It certainly has been challenging over the years to maintain it, but it's going to be here and it's going to be here forever. Thank you so much. While you were talking, Eric, I was talking to Patrick and Lauren. Lauren, by the way, works for Freestyle, and she helped orchestrate the Holga giveaway. We had a Holga giveaway contest. We're actually pulling the uh, winners on the show on the 19th, and I was told by the folks at Freestyle that we're going to have another one in the near future. But I was talking to Patrick and Lauren about, because I saw it on the counter, I'm like, huh? 
what is this? There is a growing number of folks who are shooting with what's known as the Fuji Instax Mini Camera. I've heard about that. What is that, Mike? Well, I will tell you what the Fuji Instax Mini Camera is because I've been raving about the Polaroid branded version of that camera, which is called the Polaroid 300 camera. And when I did the test of the Polaroid 300 camera, on this very show, I was holding a close-up filter in front of the lens. Yes, you were. It was an old-fashioned Koken filter designed for 35-millimeter cameras. Jean Coquin. Yes, and I was holding it in front of the... I'm like, well, you know, you can use a close-up filter, but guess what? What? Freestyle now carries kits. No. Yep, close-up kit, fisheye kit, uh, like another uh, multiple image. What do you call that? A fractal when you have like four images? Um, I don't know. Koken used to have one. A multiple image filter. A multiple image filter. I bet Koken makes this stuff. Oh, I don't know who makes it, but it's in a box, and it's designed for the Instax Mini, and I said to Patrick, I'm like, you know, Patrick, uh, you know, Polaroid 300 is the same camera. Are you, you know, marketing this to Polaroid 300 as well? And, um, you know, they deal so much with the Fuji Instax Mini that you know, I had to tell him a little bit. I'm like, you know, Polaroid introduced the 300 camera. It's in Target. We chit-chatted a little bit about it. And uh, it's a really a cool little camera. So whether you buy the Polaroid 300 at the Target or if you buy the Fuji Instax Mini out of, let's say, the Freestyle catalog, they now are making these filters. They fit both cameras. And also the film fits both cameras. So if you're into a Target store here in the U.S. and you, you need film for your Fuji Instax Mini, you could buy the Polaroid 300 film. Or vice versa. They got it going on at the Freestyle booth. We should visit there one of these days. It's in California, oh, isn't it? Oh, that'd be great. That would be great. They're in Hollywood? I don't know. You keep, you keep mentioning that they're in Hollywood. Is the card? Is it saying the card? Oh. You're holding the card in your hand. Freestyle photographic in Hollywood, California. Look at that. They are in Hollywood. 5124 Sunset Boulevard. Wow. That is smack dab in the middle of Hollywood. Well, if we could save our, our nickels and dimes, Dwayne, we could uh, maybe... Uh, Go out to like Entourage. Yeah, exactly. Or just, you know, get a nice G4 from uh, Marquis Jet. Yeah, fantastic. The big news, of course, uh, was over at the Kodak booth. Kodak... Well, first of all, we've got a number of letters talking about... Still talking about doing developing at home. Will you guys talk about developing a home? It's a never-ending topic. Folks listening really want to hear about home developing. So may, maybe in a future episode, I'll, I'll sort of um, I'll mention to Freestyle, maybe we can get together here at the studio, myself and you. I'll bring all my old-timey stuff from my college days in, all my pans and tongs, and we'll get some chemicals going, and we'll develop a roll of film right here on FPP. We'll walk you through it. Yeah, we'll walk you through it, and if we're lucky enough, maybe even... Joey K will be here with his video camera. We could put it on YouTube. Yeah. By the way, our YouTube channel is up and running, and I currently have a video on the U- YouTube channel talking about using Polaroid Pack cameras. So check that out. The uh, the address, the YouTube URL will be in our show notes. Kodak booth. Kodak was upbeat and positive about film, this PDN. Super positive. Yes, they were. They were giving away samples, as a matter of fact. Yes, they were. On the floor, we literally bumped into Michael Kalea. We did. We did. Michael, of course, is uh, a FPP listener, and on our Flickr group, organized our print exchange, which was a really fantastic little project where all the members, FPP listeners that are members of the Flickr group, uh, signed up for a print exchange, whereas I sent a print to a listener, a listener sent me a print. It was a lot of fun. We're going to do it again in January. Uh, Michael was kind enough to chit-chat with us a little bit about 
what he's up to, what he's shooting with. He had a Yashica mat with him. Twin lens reflex camera. And I believe a Minolta light meter around his neck. Yes, he did. He did. Let's uh, let's uh, talk to Michael. Oh, yeah. I'm here with Michael Kalea, film photography podcast listener, and most recently who organized our print exchange on the Flickr film photography podcast Flickr group. Hi, Michael. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going really, really well. We're here on the floor. Dwayne is taking a break right now, as you can see. We, Michael, where do you, uh, where are you heading in from for the show? I'm heading from Brooklyn. Is this the first show you've been to, PDN? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the first one. In your hand, you have a Yashica mat. Are you actually shooting with that today? Yes, I am. The uh, the Sony Alpha display has some uh, people riding back and forth on bikes. I guess on a tube or whatever they call that thing. And uh, I did take out the Yashica mat and shot a couple shots to the front with it. What are you shooting with today? Fuji Color. Fuji Pro 400H. Can you tell me what you do day to day? Sure, I'm a creative director and designer. Is a photography a hobby for you? Yes, it is. I find it to be a sort of a, a creative outlet. It really helps kind of you know, keep an eye on, um, you know, basically keep an eye, a fresh eye on things. Have you always been shooting film or, or how recently did you start shooting film? Um, I started out shooting film, um, took film, uh, film course in college shot film for years afterwards, then loaned out my, uh, I usually shoot a Nikon FE2, loaned it out, didn't get it back for years. Uh, finally got it back uh, four years ago. Who had it? A friend. Okay. Um, he was supposed to just take some photos and just never gave it back. Um, and my wife wanted to know how, how to use it. And so in teaching her how to use the camera, kind of got back into it. This year, what, what has been your, your camera film of choice? What have, you been, what have you been really concentrating on this year? Um, hmm. Well, we've been trying to stay, get away from shooting uh, Prospect Park since it's right in our backyard. We have lots of flower photos and such, so we've been trying to move away from that. I've been actually going to some of the uh, the meetup groups. Fairly interesting and, and gives you a wide variety of things to shoot. Working on Crotochrome, planning on taking a trip down to uh, uh, the industrial area in, in uh, Gowanus and kind of walking through there. How did you find out about the film photography podcast? Uh, searching on, on uh, iTunes. And I think I was lucky enough to find it about when the second one came out. Tell me about the FPP Flickr Group Print Exchange. Sure. So I uh, I was inspired by the print exchange on the, I think it was the uh, uh, Through the Lens Group. Um, are you familiar with that group? No. What, what for, is it on Flickr? It is on Flickr. So they will take things like, I think they mainly focus on, on TLRs. And they'll um, adapt them so that you can shoot through the, the viewfinder, and they actually shoot what you see in the viewfinder, usually with a digital camera, but they're shooting digital through a analog camera. It's an interesting hybrid. So they're shooting mostly square format, because again, they're shooting usually through uh, TLRs. I saw a print exchange there, thought, wow, that's a great idea, and then thought, hey, why not do one for the Film Photography Podcast? It went very smooth. It did, it did. I, I was quite pleased. Um, I was very happy. I think everyone it was great, and the images are just amazing. The film photography podcast Flickr group, that in the Flickr group, we have, not, not just the Flickr group, but even our audience, we have the best audience ever. I think so. We really have a great, great audience, and it's demonstrated by the print exchange. I mean, the people that got involved were just, you know, uh, uh, so it just, it's all snapped into place, wouldn't you say, Michael? I would. And we're going to do one in January. What do you think? Uh, it's definitely going to gear up, yeah. So folks out there who are listening, who found us on iTunes, if you go to Flickr.com and join up, initial join up is free, and you go to groups, search Film Photography Podcast, you'll find our little group, and it is kind of a cozy group, wouldn't you say? I would. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's a little... 
It is. It's a, it's a cozy group of people, and they all kind of know each other. And when people post questions, they don't get pounced upon like they do in other groups. That's definitely true. There, there's a venom out there. There can be. I haven't seen one of the. Hey, why don't you Google it? Or, exactly. Or uh, you know, there's definitely no pouncing. It's more of a. Hey, here's the answer to that. It's it's a club. I would agree. Dwayne's here standing holding a box of Ektar 100 8x10 film that our good friend Scott at Kodak gave him. I've never seen it really it was like it was like uh, your birthday when I saw you open that bag. So uh, let's ask uh, Michael the question again about his camera. What was that question, Dwayne? Oh, why did you I'm sorry, why did you choose the Yashica map? Right. So, uh, when I was looking for a TLR, it was down to the uh, I did a lot of research, looked at the roller cores, the roller flexes, then decided that I prefer the crank over the knob, and um, basically came, it, when it came down to it, it was either an early Yashica, the uh, Lumaxar lens, which supposedly some say was made in Germany, some say it's not, and uh, it was down to that, one of the Minolta autocords, or a Ricoh diacord, uh, which apparently has, I forget how many blades, but um, a lot of blades, which makes the aperture, uh, uh, makes really fine bokeh. But I looked into repairability, and the roller cord, it'd be pretty tough to find someone to repair it. Uh, the auto cord, a little bit better. The Yoshika, easy as pie. And so it basically, it was just a matter of what came up on eBay at the right time. And this camera came up, and the price is just right. How long have you been shooting with the Yoshika, Matt? Uh, about six months. Does it have a light meter in it? No, it does not. That is why there's one around my neck. Uh, what is that around your neck? It's a Minolta. Awesome. Uh, what is it? A Auto Meter 5F. Are you happy with it? Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, every now and then I think about, hmm, maybe I should get the Gauss and Luna Pro. Gauss and Luna Pro. Yeah, but, but this does the job. And, uh, you know, you can, you can hook in a flash. It's got a PC sync. Very nice. So I haven't used it yet, but. Oh, is it, is it new to you or is it brand new? It's, it's, uh, no, it's used. They don't make it anymore. And it's, uh, I picked it up used off of Craigslist. But it, it works fine. Well, I'm pretty excited, Dwayne. And now we're going to get a photo op. Can we get a photo op with you? Anyone out there wants to check in and see what Michael's up to, uh, you can go to our Flickr group. And Dwayne is going to take a Polaroid Spectra image of us. The Kodak booth. There was a lot happening at the Kodak booth because not only was uh, Scott DiSabato there from Kodak, we chatted with him, but also Keith Canham. What do you know about Keith? Dwayne. Keith Kenham is a, uh, a manufacturer of his own line of Kenham view cameras uh, in, in many different sizes and formats. He's out of, uh, out of Arizona, and he is currently working out a deal with Kodak to make it more accessible and more affordable for people who shoot various formats in large format photography to avail themselves to uh, film in those strange sizes. It's sort of like, almost like a group project where you would sign on to this group project and the volume, as people sign on, it would give Keith the juice, so to speak, to go to Kodak to say, we would like this type of film manufactured for these cameras. Sure. Suppose there's a group of people, they have a 12 by 20 cameras and they would really like to shoot transparency film. A person goes to Kodak and says, hey, I'd like this order. And Kodak says, what? 
okay, we'll do it for you, but you got to buy $15,000 worth of material for us to be worth our... Well, you know, the average person isn't going to spend that kind of money. What Keith is trying to do is to assemble lists of people who have the common interest in a given size using his network, utilizing Kodak's manufacturing capability, and make the accessibility for those sizes of film, and different kinds of film, too. Well, were these all odd-sized cameras, Dwayne? Like, or... Does he have the standard 4x5, 8x10? He does. It's best to go to his website, which he mentions the name of, and yes. there's a whole list. It's Canum, canumcameras.com. That's C-A-N-H-A-M-C-A-M-E-R-A-S.com. And, and you can see the different sizes of cameras that he makes. If you're interested in medium and large format photography, I urge you to go to the site, see what Keith is proposing regarding you know, making film, film made by Kodak for these cameras, and if this is your thing and you're excited about this, sign on up. Sign on up. We do have Keith, in his own words, in an interview that you conducted. Yes. Let's go to the audio tape. Let's go talk to Keith. We are talking with Keith Kenham, and Keith manufactures exquisite view cameras of various formats. And uh, please give a description of what I'm looking at right now. Um, this is a 717 folding field camera. It's... Um, Walnut and also aluminum, all the hardware is um, 6061 T6 aluminum. Um, and it's all machined on CNC machine center, so there isn't any hand machine. It's all, in fact, the people that make my metal parts when they aren't um, making my parts, they're building spy satellites. So the type of precision that goes into that type of work for all the metal parts. Um, and this is 717, and um, it's got about a 36 inch bellows draw on it, so pretty versatile, big film. This is almost like a spy camera then, right? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> so how long have you been manufacturing view cameras? Well, I've been in the business for a little over 20 years. That's how long we've been marketing. Um, I've actually been building cameras for about 35 years. Um, but for oh, about 10, 10, 12 years, basically I was building cameras for me just to go out and take pictures with. And um, one thing led to another. People kept asking, well, gosh, wouldn't you build more? Would you sell me one? I like what you're doing. And I thought, well, this sounds kind of interesting. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I'm in business building cameras. Now, view cameras in comparison to uh, digital cameras and even film SLRs, it's such a niche market. You know? So how do you get your name out there so the people who really want to purchase these cameras know where to go? And how do they find out about you? That's certainly a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Getting your name out there is a real tough one. There's not a lot of publications. A View Camera Magazine exists out there for View Camera people, um, and that's one way to do it. We've got a web page, canhamcameras.com. We also just recently put up a Facebook page in hopes to, um, what I call, get found accidentally. You know, people that are interested in photography might sort of stumble across us. We're also hopefully in the near future going to do some, uh, looking at doing some YouTube videos of uh, like how to fold the camera, maybe how to mount a lens, some different things like that, or how to load a film holder um, and get the word out that way. I come to the trade show here in New York. Um, I haven't been in the last few years, but I'm of course, we're here this year. We go, have gone to Photokina every two years for about the last uh, 16, 18 years um, to spread the word that way. And then there's a lot of word of mouth. The one thing about large format photography is that it seems that every large format photographer seems to know at least one more. Mm -hmm. And so the, the word gets around that way too, and that's helpful. But, but it's also true and sometimes almost a little frustrating because I still have people come by the booth here this year at Photo, at, in Photo Plus in New York and say, Oh, I didn't, I've never heard of you. I didn't know you made cameras, and yet I've been here in New York for years I've been coming. And, um, and so 
it, it's definitely a challenge to, to, to get the name out there. Um, but, but most people have heard if, if they're interested in large format. Now, we all know the formats, 4x5 and 8x10. Those are the two big popular ones. Some people shoot 5x7. But you make camera formats that are, that are so much different than those. I guess people would call them ultra-large format. Uh, do you do things that are part of your stock arsenal of offerings, or you actually custom make cameras too? We actually do both. We do make ultra-large format that I would consider sort of our stock arsenal, 7, 17, 8, 20, 12, 20, 11 by 14, and 20 by 24. We don't have those cameras writ. I mean, you can't pull one off the shelf to ship, but usually pretty quickly we can get those sizes out. But we do some custom cameras. I've got a gentleman right now that's ordered an 8 by 14 camera, vertical-only camera, for example. And so we're working on that. We also do some um, 5 by 12 for people. I've had some inquiries for a whole plate. And although we haven't made a whole plate camera, it's not really a, a difficult thing to do to put, a, for example, whole plate size film on a 8 by 10 or even to size up the 5 by 7 slightly to put a whole plate on. So we do a little of both. It's nice to deal, deal a little bit with the um, more, I like to call them production. I mean, you, you aren't making them thousands at a time. but. It's a little easier to deal with those in some ways. Uh, when you start doing one-off cameras and the amount of time it takes to do the design work even really adds to the cost. And a lot of people look at it and think, gosh, you know, that seems like an awful price. But when you're only building one at a time and there's no, there's no future in selling more cameras that size, it, it can get pretty expensive. And what do those people do about holders for those things? Um, there's a company in Southern California called AWB Enterprises. And he has his whole business is manufacturing film holders, if you can imagine, and that's all he does. And um, he'll he'll build he builds all this what I think of as standards: 11, 14, 7, 17, 8, 20, 12, 20. But in fact, he's building the holders for the 8 by 14. So you can call up AWB and talk to Alan. He's the owner, and Alan will tell him the size holder you want and a little bit about the specs, and he'll build you the holder or multiple holders in that size. Is there one particular type of wood that you prefer to use for your cameras? Or is it whatever is available or suitable? Or what, what was your choice for that? Our standard wood's black walnut. It's American-grown black walnut. I, I, it's a real stable wood. It's real hard. It's also a wood that, um, although it's a, um, it's a slow-growth tree, which makes it a good wood to work with, it's also a tree that people replant. So um, it's, not, it's not like cutting down the rainforest and not having new trees come up. So there's a little bit of that concern. Although we built cameras in other woods, and we'll do that upon request. If somebody's got a really unique wood that they'd like to have a camera build out of, if the wood's stable, we'll certainly we'll certainly build the camera out of it. We've done some, we've done an oak, we've done them in oak, and we've done them in maple. We've done them in rosewood. Honduran mahogany, like the Zone Six one. Um, we actually have done one mahogany camera. The problem I've had with mahogany, quite it's it's interesting you should ask. I've had a hard, difficult time finding mahogany that I think is of a good enough quality to build the camera. It used to be that really good, high quality mahogany was readily available, but a lot of those forests have been depleted. And I remember when, when Fred Picker was making his Zone Six camera, he he announced he was going to make it out of Honduran mahogany, and this was at the height of the awareness of the rainforests being denuded and people. Just just went ballistic over it. You know, we're, we're conservationists, we're landscape photographers. How dare you make a camera out of something we're trying to to preserve? So yeah, there was a bit of a, a bit of flack over it. Well, and in fact, the one mahogany camera that we did build, I actually used some mahogany that was reclaimed from some old furniture. Uh, so it was a really nice quality wood, but it was also about 75 years old because it had been in another use. We actually built a 
a camera a while back out of Bird's Eye Maple that came from some old bed stays that were over 100 years old. It was a wonderful, beautiful camera and, and um, you know, nice way to recycle the wood. Let's talk a bit about the partnership that you've established with Kodak. Um, I understand that you are, are working with them to enable people who shoot your cameras and other types of view cameras to get film. Yeah, um, what's happened is, is that people that shoot sizes that are really unusual, something that's not 4x5, 5, 5.7, or 8x10, have had trouble in the past. What are you going to do if you shoot 7, 17, or 8, 20, or 12, 20? How, how do you acquire film? What's the process for doing that? And we've come to a relationship with Kodak to do special runs of those films. And, and the, sort of the way I describe it, or the business plan, is that we become sort of film central. They, the, the film has to be pre-paid for before it's ordered from Kodak, and, and Kodak has a pretty large minimum, we'll be quite honest about it. I, there aren't many people that can go out and buy fifteen or $16,000 worth of film at one time. So what we're, what we're attempting to do is, make, is to co-op these people together. So if you're shooting 717, for example, and, and really you aren't, you aren't making a living that way, so you may only shoot 50 sheets a year. How do you get two boxes of film? How, how did, can that happen? Well, we're hoping that we can put enough people together so that you're able to get your two boxes and the next guy can get his two boxes, and maybe the next guy ten boxes if that's what he needs. And we can get enough of the people together to place the order. Because my cameras are marketed internationally, we hope to be able to get a, a base of photographers that is more than just the United States, but in fact all around the world, so that the film can be... The way I like to think about it is that we're going to try to spread it real thin. If, for example, an, an order of 717 requires, and I'm not sure exactly, but it seems like it's somewhere around 50 boxes. Well, if somebody has to buy all 50, that's a lot of money. But if they only have to buy one, that's not a lot of money. And so um, if we can find a, a 50 different people that need that film, or even 35 different people that need that film, nobody's buying a lot of it. And um, we're hoping that that's going to make it easy for people and to be able to do it more regularly because those 35 or 40 people know that, that they don't have to buy 10 boxes because they're afraid that they won't be any in the future. They know that, well, I can buy a few this time because I know that I can go back to Canon cameras, to Keith, and say, oh, well, I'm getting low on film. Let's get another run going in this size film and we'll be able to do that. Now, the other nice thing about the relationship with Kodak is that we can do any of the emulsions. So it, we can do black and white, we can do color neg, we can do color transparency. So if you want to shoot 20 by 24 color transparencies, we can get the film for you. The other thing that's, that Kodak's been real helpful on is that, that, that and this is, people who've gotten big film um, know this, but people that haven't ordered film may not. In the past, if you've placed a special order an individual, Kodak will ship the, has been shipping the film in whatever size box they happen to have in stock that the film will fit in. So you might order 717 film, but it actually comes in a 20 by 24 box. So by doing the film with us, we're going to be able to supply it in the box that's the appropriate size as well, and I think that's going to be helpful for the photographer at the end. So if you're a large format photographer or ultra-large format and you want to uh, take advantage of this opportunity, how should they go about it? Who do they contact? Well, probably the easiest thing initially is to look at our webpage, canumcameras.com. And on there we have a page for film inquiries where you can put in your name and your email address and what film Kodak Emulsion you're interested in, what size. And if we don't already have a pricing structure for it, I contact Kodak. They're real good about getting back to me within a week or so. 
I send I send you back pricing structure on it, or I can send back and say, oh, well, we've already got a you know we've already got a co-op going on that. We still need so many more boxes, and can give you that information. So we can we can do that partly over email. You can also call us on the phone. Uh, Canon cameras. Look on our webpage. We've got our phone number listed. That's probably the easiest place. You can get, and give us a ring on the phone. You know, we can get it started, get you some ideas about the film, and, and get the process started. Well, Keith, thank you so much. It's so nice to finally meet you and speak with you in person, and good luck with this project. Well, thank you. You have a good day. Okay. By the way, Dwayne, while you were interviewing Keith, I was shooting. I did bring some cameras with me to the PDN Photo Expo. Brought a kind of odd assortment. I brought two cameras. I brought a Kodak Pocket Instamatic camera. It's a 110 camera. <laughs> loaded with... Kodachrome 64 110 film that expired in the year 1979. Uh. <laughs> well, you're a better man than me. What did you think when you saw that? I thought, I bet this isn't good anymore. Oh, no, it's, I've tested a roll. Well, Kodachrome is remarkably stable stuff, isn't it's it? It's incredible. This film has been in someone's refrigerator for 31 years. <laughs> the The... Incredible. So here I am at the PDN Photo Expo with my Kodak Pocket Instamatic from 1972. It belonged to my aunt and my uh, Magic Cube flash cubes. And uh, taking some uh, shots of you and uh, Keith Canham. <laughs> it's, it's sort of like the reverse, the opposite universe of what he does. I know. It's crazy. The amazing thing was people, and Mike was doing Polaroids as well, so many people, they'd walk by and look, well, what is that guy doing? He's got a Polaroid camera. He's got an ins. Who is that guy with an Instamatic camera at a show that's 99.9% digital? It was so much fun to see. A few folks actually heard, I actually heard the trailing words, old school, school. Old school. Plus, I was dressed like a, for, a, a, a reporter from the 1940s. You had the garb on. You had the hat. Yeah, I was. I was, I was the, the Ouija trench coat. <laughs> I had a trench coat on. I had a fedora on. Next time we go, you have to get a little press thing. I had it. You, you should, I mean, just do it. If you're gonna, don't you, just do it. I went to a, a, a Halloween party uh, a week or so ago, and I bought this getup for that party, and I actually made a little sign. You know, guys from the 40s wore like a little card in the, in the lapel of their hat, said, press. And I left the press. I should, I should have brought it. It would have been fun. Maybe next year. Uh, I also brought my Polaroid Spectra camera, and I was shooting Polaroids because I wanted uh, some images to be ready for you know this show to be posted online. And I don't shoot digital. And the Kodachrome film is at Dwayne's right now being processed. While at the Kodak booth, Scott DiSabato, Scott's one of the main guys there, mm-hmm. and Scott was kind enough to spend some time with us because we we posed to him basically, you know. What has it been like this year for film? And Scott kind of said some of the same things that uh, when I was talking offline with Patrick at Freestyle, kind of said the same kind of things, which is that the digital war is over and that, you know, there, there really is a re-emergence, people using film. And now companies like Kodak are starting to see that there's enough interest in film 
to keep that going. And that's, that's for me at least, and I'm sure for all of our listeners and for Dwayne, that's really exciting. People are using film up because they, they think they should or shouldn't. They're using it because they want to. You know, it's a choice at this point. I mean, in his own words, it's, it's become a choice. I'm, I'm shooting film because I want to, because there's a look to it. There is a convenience to it. And there is a convenience. You know, you don't have to spend five hours on a computer. Right. You drop off the film, you pick up your proofs. There are the proofs if you're a wedding photographer, portrait photographer, or just do it because you like film. It actually has made things easier to shoot film. For a lot of people, it has. To shoot film has become easier to do. Uh, you know what, Dwayne? It is easier to do, and I will tell you why. Like, just the other day, when I had my Ouija get up on, I went to a uh, our favorite place to eat, Max Diner. They had a little Halloween bash. I went up there with my Canon FTB and Flash and some, uh, some 400-speed film. I shot the place up, and it was simple. it was simple as this. I went to Target, dropped off my film, told them what I wanted. Hey, I want two prints of each. We, we, on the way back from PDN, we stopped. I picked up the film. We went to Max. I sorted them, handed them, done. So many wedding photographers are finding out, and I've heard from a number of people, they shoot the wedding. They say to the couple, your proofs will be ready in a day or two. I mean, it's old school. They drop off the film. They get back the proofs. They put it in a book. Here are your proofs. And if you know what you're doing as a photographer, this is the, the keen thing to remember. If you know your lighting, if you know your posing, if you know how to control light quality and color balance, proofs look amazing. They do. They look amazing. If you get like an, a beautiful silk finish proof from a, a really high quality portrait film like a Kodak 400 and with a really good camera with a really sharp lens, proofs can look simply stunning. And so many photographers are finding out, oh, I don't have to sit for five hours on a computer now. I don't have to do it. All I got to do is just go pick up my film and proofs. And there's, there's un, it's unbelievable to me that it's coming full circle. And it is. Yeah. It's unbelievable to me that that's happening. You're talking about, you know, the USB cable, the downloading, opening up every blah, 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 blah. And as a wedding photographer, you're going to print anyway. You're making prints. You're making, you're, you're making hard copy prints anyway. Right. Exactly. And, the, and, and your proofs are going to look better shot with a film camera at, a, at an event, you know, where you have uh, outside with all the sunlight. And there are labs that have custom tailored to making proofs from portrait film. I don't know how many of them are still around, but I can remember, you know, in the mid-1990s, you'd look at these and go, these, these look even better than I thought they would. And that's, it's, you know, and when it went to digital, you know, it made, made things harder. You know, shooting all year film and talking to digital photographers and many of them shoot film and digital which is fine and there are different you know things where it's appropriate to shoot digital uh, and i completely understand that but i'm sorry the film is just a it's a better format it's it's better it's <laughs> just looking at me well it's better for certain things i mean you know yeah but it's interesting that that some wedding photographers they are now a specialty wedding photographers who exclu who shoot exclusively film and they're welcoming it because they don't have to sit in front of a computer screen five hours a day right but we we getting back to the whole topic of film and what's new with film we spoke to Scott at Kodak and uh, he, he he spent a lot of time chatting with us let's yes, he did let's hear what Scott had to say so Scott what's a, what's the year been like for film? It's been uh, it's been good. It is um, we are uh, uh, you know some of the larger formats are performing extremely well. Uh, sheet film and uh, some of the medium format. I, I and I think just as a general pattern, uh, maybe the the larger the format. I, I, I think the the closer ties that a photographer has to film, uh, and and I'm definitely kind of seeing that in the numbers. Uh, black and white as a category remains really strong, and that is due to, I think, aesthetic reasons. Beautiful grain in there that you don't have to put in post. I think at the same time, the freedom to 
process yourself and not necessarily have to rely on a lab uh, is is a great thing for film users as well. So it's been a great year for film, no doubt about it. And uh, you know, for years and years, I, I have people come up to me and tell me, "Hey, I'm, I'm using more film. I'm back on film." You know, and I, I discount that to a degree. But at the same time, um, you know, we're beginning to see enough people say that that uh, it's uh, it's kind of a cool thing to look at. And one of the things that we've been um, really thinking about as well, you know, the future film business has got to be this pool of people that once used it and are they uh, staying with film, using both, or moving over to digital. But what we're really starting to see is, is a brand new crop of photographer, right, that were, and they were born digital and somewhere along the way, probably through education, they, uh, they exposed a roll of film and they have that same magic moment that we had. Um, e even after being somewhat accomplished uh, uh, photographers and learning uh, digitally, they have that magic moment and it really hooks them and it's fun and there's a lot of great entry uh, level ways to get involved in film. You've got toy cameras, plastic cameras, and that's a great way to start and it's really cool I think for them to see their photography being interpreted by an analog uh, piece of film and it's great stuff. So we're really excited about that. And, uh, and you know, a lot of that interest seems uh, uh, like it paints a very sustainable future. So we're continuing to invest in film. So at the show here, Photo Plus 2010, we're introducing a brand new Portrait 400 film. It is now the finest grain 400 speed film out there. And at the same time, we're celebrating 125 years of flexible film. Kodak, um, that was the first of many innovations. So Eastman uh, dry plates existed and, and George Eastman uh, gained a, an amazing reputation for his emulsions, and that, that's really what got the business uh, uh, moving forward. Uh, but uh, 125 years ago, he invented flexible roll film. I think we have to look around this show and kind of say thanks, because that invention pushed film out to consumers, to amateurs, to professionals that maybe didn't have the means to do photography uh, the way that people were able to uh, with glass plates, the complexity, uh, the costs associated with that. So 125 years later, on top of that, we, we launched a film. But right along the way, we invented Kodachrome and, and color photography, and didn't invent it, but uh, uh, but kind of perfected it commercially. And in the 50s, we went to color prints. Um, uh, we we created uh, invented the digital camera in 1970s. And in the 1990s, the first digital SLR. These are all Kodak innovations, and we're not stopping there. So we're excited, but 125 years later, probably the most exciting thing to me is another flexible roll film uh, with a Portrait 400. And of course, we can't forget the fabulous Kodak Kodachrome, how fabulous that was. It was, and to a degree is, right? It's, it's the final kind of moments here. We have until December to get the film processed. Uh, so this would make it the 75th year that the film has been with us and uh, great film and we're going to be thankful for that film for many many years to come and that's because of its archival properties because it brought color to an era uh, that most of us are only used to seeing in uh, black and white and it's almost touching if you can see uh, some of these images in color because it's real and lifelike and uh, it's less about uh, documentary black and white it, 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 it does something to you if you're able to see that so um, it's been a great film for us, and frankly, we probably put the decision off a couple years beyond what we um, should have as a business because it is so important to us. But yeah, we're close to the end here, and but we look back and we're really proud and happy about that. 
Great, fantastic. Anything else, Dwayne? So many of our podcast listeners are interested in, in 4x5. And more and more people, it just kind of is amazing. And they're interested in Ektar in uh, 4x5 and also the new T-Max. I guess it isn't new, but it's a year old, the T-Max 400. So any comments you can make regarding those things that people would like to know in terms of processing, uh, you know, latitude, whatever? Sure thing. You know, yeah, like as I said earlier, sheet film is one of our uh, sweet spots uh, this year. Uh, we've really done well with sheet film. Basically, the Ektar 100 is the finest grain color film made. And the wonderful thing about this film is it, it, it's true 100 speed. It has a moderate contrast level, but it has a high saturation. That is like this wonderfully beautiful, deadly combination of, of with the contrast containing all your detail you want in your shadows and your highlights, but it still kind of gives you that impact with all that color saturation, all the dye that we build in the film. So it's just a wonderful film. And it, it continues to impress me with its ability to render skin tones. The portrait films are made for that, and they're great at it. But the Ektar films are surprisingly good at it, all with uh, that kind of crazy image structure and, and saturation. Uh, so the T-Max 400 film, a fantastic film that uh, can be printed optically or um, contact printed too. It's very, very uh, well thought of uh, there because of its mi uh, mid-tone sections. Very straight, very linear, linear uh, you know, light input in, density out, and uh, so a lot of people do contact printing with it. And of course, uh, the hybrid environment for large format photographers is, is an important one where they scan uh, their sheet film and they go out to uh, digital printing. And there's some great tools out there for that. So. Uh, it's a great film. And uh, by the way, if we're talking about 4x5, the Portrait 400 film uh, will be available in 4x5. And news at this show, we will also be offering it in 8x10. Out of the gate, we decided that uh, maybe we weren't going to do that. Um, but we, uh, we rethought that with the help of some people screaming in our ears. And we'll have that in 8x10. But probably the most exciting thing, if I can move way beyond 4x5, is that we're in a partnership with uh, Canon Cameras. Uh, Keith Canna makes uh, handmade wooden metal cameras, um, 4x5 up to 20x24, 20 and he's got a global network of dealers that um, sell his cameras. Obviously with those cameras you need film. So Kodak has always uh, made special orders, but we require like $15,000 worth of product to kind of lose the efficiency that we have in manufacturing to, to do something customized. So that is way too much. Uh, uh, De Niro for a professional photographer to probably hurdle and it's usually too much for a dealer so what Keith's going to do is gather the grass, grassroots effort here and um, and collect that worldwide demand and if it's the worldwide demand we're going to be able to hit those hurdles easily so he's looking at the the Portra 400 uh, Tri-X, T-Max 400 and the Ektar 100 as probable uh, sheet film uh, choices to go into this project. So this will be unique sizes uh, that, that are never stocked, um, such as uh, some, in some cases 5x7, 11x14, 20x24. He's got a 7x17 camera over there. And again, as long as there is enough um, interest and business, uh, he'll place the order. So what he's doing right now is um, somebody, uh, uh, an interested photographer will give them his credit card uh, his or her credit card, and he'll uh, he'll take take the money at that point, 
and once it gets to about 80% of what he needs to hit that hurdle, he'll go ahead and place the order. After about 90 days, he will come back to you if he didn't hit that and ask if you want to stay in the queue or if you'd like your money refunded. Uh, so I think it's a fair, equitable way of, of getting real interest there, not just waving your hand and, and then never following up. But uh, it's an interesting way to try to collect this demand in a way that uh, helps Kodak and, and Keith, uh, you know, not necessarily get burned on, um, uh, you know, interest without uh, putting their money where their mouth is. So it's it's going to be a great project. It's pretty fantastic. How did that co collaboration come about, if I could ask? Yeah, well, Keith and I were at a trade show. You know, the first question people ask him when they see his fantastic cameras is, yeah, but where are you going to get film for it? So he, there is film available, and it's typically black and white, and maybe a less consistent uh, type of emulsion. Um, and yeah, it's kind of an issue. It's kind of a chicken egg issue. And so we got together um, almost a year ago and started talking about this. And it's just, it's a, just a good marriage uh, to work together with him. And he's got a network that you know, and he's not seen as a competitor to anyone. A reseller out there so it, it really works out well for us uh, so yeah just it's really neat um, we'd love to make a large format uh, film it's challenging because our manufacturing environment is streamlined and we're all about efficiency and about uh, uh, you know uh, controlling costs those sort of things that are so important for us to offer our amazing portfolio right now and uh, so in order to to stop the production line and do it differently and reset things um, you know we have to hit that hurdle so we're very excited. Pretty fantastic. It's amazing, yeah. Great. Thank you, Scott. Terrific. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. That was fantastic. All in all, Dwayne, going to the PDN was a hit. Uh, we definitely uh, accomplished more than we did last year. Yes. It was a little smaller than last year, but actually, Scott was telling me offline that it wasn't because like a shrinking market, just that this, there was very limited space at the Jacob Javits Center when they booked the show. So I would expect next year to be a bigger show. I imagine we'll be back next year to the PDN, yes? Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I want to mention again, Plastic Cameras Toying with Creativity, a book by Michelle Bates. I have a copy here signed by Michelle, and I'm giving it away to one lucky listener of the FPP. To win this, send me an email at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. In the header, put plastic cameras. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Include your name and your address. And we're going to be uh, doing a drawing of this uh, probably the first week of December. Get your entries in by uh, late November. If you're listening to this as an archive, stay tuned to newer episodes of FPP. We always are giving something away. And in episodes coming up we have some great 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 giveaways Dwayne I'm pretty excited we have off the top of my head and this is not the entire list we have an Olympus trip giveaway Olympus trip 35 a Kodak pony no Kodak pony 2 giveaway now I've been talking about the Kodak pony it's a camera made in the late 1950s by Kodak it was designed it's a Bakelite camera designed by Arthur Crapsey Arthur Crapsey yes he designed all the uh, Bakelite cameras for Kodak he got his name because his father uh, was in manufacturing and someone took one of his products and said this is Crapsey <laughs> that's not true is it? no how okay. do I know so going to be giving away a Fuji Instax wide camera and the list goes on and on and 
also, I'm going to be giving away uh, a, a color pack, color packed Polaroid color pack two camera. So some great stuff lined up. We're weekly this month. FPP is coming to you every week in November 2010. Are you excited, Dwayne? Very. Looking forward to John Fideli coming back in two weeks. Yes. Oh, yeah. Next week, we have the Impossible Project interview. In two weeks, we'll be back here at the studio. The Wrecking Crew will be back. Uh-oh. The Wrecking Crew, John Fideli, Dwayne, myself. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll, be re- re- we'll be reading viewer letters and... Uh, opening up some brand new giveaways. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. This has been a fantastic show. Thrilled to bring this to you. We're at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line via email. Hey, how about some old-timey, old-school pen pals? Pen pals, P.O. Box 152, Butler, New Jersey. B-U-T-L-E-R-N-J-0-7-4-0-5, USA. If you want to send an old-time regular mail. If you want to donate to FPP, you have a camera that works, film camera that works, send it our way. You got some extra film, something you want to share with us, send it our way. Do you have some extra cash? (laughs) Send it our way. We will put it to good use. Actually, I got a camera in the mail the other day. Did you? I do not have the the letter in front of me, but we're going to be talking about, (laughs) we're going to be talking about the APS system. <laughs> uh, why? The Advantix system. Why? That's very funny you should ask because... Does anybody care? Yes. There's some folks out there. First of all, there's a guy out there, uh, I don't have the information in front of me, who is modifying old Polaroid iZone cameras. I actually have this right here. I have it right in front of me. This is a Polaroid iZone camera. He modified this. He gutted it so it takes APS film. Get out of town. I swear to God. I have a few FPP listeners who are taking APS film, which, by the way, I just experienced for the first time. I didn't know what was going on. I shot it. I sent it for processing. You get the prints back. I'm like, where are the eggs? The film cartridge comes back. The whole thing comes the back. The whole thing comes back because... It was sort of a you know a late format film format that, by the way, it's still sold. If you go into your local supermarket, APS film. If you go into like a Quick Check or Seven Eleven, APS film, Advantix film, incredible. But one listener, he takes, he cracks open the package and he pulls the film out of the APS system and then scans the entire frame, including the sprockets and sprockets of your dance. And I'm fascinated by it because you don't see anyone having fun with APS, Advantix film. You don't see anyone talking about it. It's almost like a film format that doesn't exist. Like no one, like you said, like, we, like who cares? Really? I thought it was completely gone. I have two APS cameras sitting in the, in the, on the storage shelf that we're going to be talking about and giving away. I'm very curious if anyone even wants a camera set like this. Why doesn't that surprise me? I don't know. You have them. An Advantix film cameras. They're almost like digital cameras because they're late model. They're early 2000, you know, early 2000s cameras and they have a lot of functions that are very digital-esque. They do not have a screen on the back, but they're, they're pretty cool nevertheless. So we're going to be talking about that in the coming episodes. Always having fun here on the Film Photography Podcast. Thrilled you're listening in. If you just found out about us, do send us an email. Drop us a line. Let us know how you found us. And I'm really, really happy that you found us. And for those listeners that have been listening, that have dug into our archive, and have listened to all of our shows, I thank you 
for supporting us and what we're doing with film. We're having a blast here, and I'm thrilled to share everything with you folks. So until next time, Dwayne. Thank you once again for listening. Thank you for all your donations of uh, equipment. It's always much appreciated. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, this time again next year we'll meet a whole bunch more people at the show. So Absolutely. So much fun going there. Mike, it's been over a year now. It's been over a year. Can you believe it? Actually, no, I can't believe it. It's flown by. It's flown by. And it, I, can honest, I can honestly tell you, it was a good year. I had a, I had a great year being involved with FPP. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, everyone. And we'll, uh, we're back next week with an interview with The Impossible Project. We'll, we'll be back in our studio setup in two weeks. See you then. Arrivederci, America. See